are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Let's take a quick survey this morning. How many of you, by raising your hands, when you bake cookies, you eat the raw cookie dough? Let me see your hands. Wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. All right, let me, let me ask you another question. How many of you, by, by again, showing of hands, when you make chocolate chip cookies, you make your batter, and then you, you make your stuff, and then you have a little bit of chocolate chip cookies at the end, and you just dump the bag into your mouth just to finish off the chocolate chips. Let me see your hands. All right? Wow, that's, that's quite a few. How many of you, you're making your chocolate chip cookies, and you intentionally leave a few left in the bag just so you can dump them in your mouth at the end? Let me see your hands. There you go. There you go. It's right, right, right there. I wonder this morning why we don't do that with flour. We do it with chocolate chips. We do it with maybe get a little bit of butter on our fingers or sugar on our fingers, and maybe we lick that clean, but... We don't do that with flour. We do this with the star of the cookie, hence the name chocolate chip cookies. What happens to our cookies if we leave out, let's just say, a very small ingredient? Let's say we leave out one teaspoon of baking powder. It's one half teaspoon, yet it's truly the most important part of the whole recipe, isn't it? Big things come from small places. Although Christy makes us laugh in the video, she said something pretty profound before the salt and sugar mix-up. She said, big things come from really little places. Jesus is the ultimate gift of Christmas. Came forth from this really little place called Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And when the Christmas story is read each year from the Gospel of Matthew, the wise men remind King Herod that the birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy that was spoken over a half a million, uh, excuse me, uh, over a half a millennium earlier. The brief conversation is recorded in Matthew 2, verse 1 to 6. And if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to the, there this morning. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, in the, in the time of King Herod, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who is born of the king of the Jews? For we saw his star. It rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was alarmed, and all Jerusalem was with him. After assembling all the chief priests and experts in the law, he had asked them where the chief was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for it is written this way by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are no way least among the rulers of Judah, for out you will see a ruler who is shepherd of my people of Israel. See, the prophecy this wise man were referring to in verse 6 is from the prophet Micah. That prophecy was given over 700 years before the birth of Christ. Of all the Old Testament prophecies, this reference during Christmas season perhaps is the most quoted verse. It says, as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, seemingly insignificant among the clans of Judah, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, whose origins are in the distant past. And that is in Micah 5, verse 2. Have you ever felt 
insignificant? Have you ever felt like, you know what, like I, I just don't know where I fit here. I just, I just don't know if I can do this. I think if we're honest, we've all felt that way at one time of our life and another. But do you know what? That God can take those insignificant moments and do absolutely amazing God things. Those things where, where we feel totally weak, where we feel like we just can't measure up, and then God does something supernaturally that doesn't only, uh, doesn't only manifest now, but for generations to come. That's our God. See, I remember my wife and I, we got married in 1994. And when we got married, um, I was interning for Hayward at a small church just outside of Edmonton called the Calmar Christian Center. We were doing the children's ministry there, and the church wasn't able to pay us, but it just it gave us a little bit of money to cover our gas driving from Edmonton into, into Cold Lake, in, into Calmar. Uh, and as we were growing and as this, this was happening, the, the church was really doing well and really exploding. I knew that it was summertime, and in July, my wife and I were to be married, but I didn't have any money because I was student, and I was working um, for the church, but not, not really getting that salary. So I started looking for work, and I, you know what? Probably five years ago, maybe I, I shared a sermon where I shared the sermon about the towel rack. Does anyone remember the towel rack illustration? All right, let me, let me just kind of tell you a little bit about the towel rack before I, I'm going to set you up for what happened here. I am not a handy guy, but I am handsome. <laughs> and my wife simply said to me, honey, can you do me a favor and hang this towel rack in the bathroom? Easy job. So I got out my drill and I got out some of the tools, and I put this towel rack on there, and it was firm. And I said, honey, I got the towel rack on. So she came in and looked at it, and I mounted it like this. And she goes, seriously? I'm like, what? She goes, honey, it's not level. It's like that. And I'm like, oh, I probably should have used a level. So I took the towel rack down, and I leveled it off, and I put the holes in again, but the problem was is now I had holes in the wall from the first screws that I put in there, and the towel rack was so close to those screws that the little holes now became big holes that I had to patch those holes. I painted the wall, and then I hung the towel rack again. But this time, it didn't hold either, and I don't know what I did wrong. I, you know, whether maybe I didn't let the drywall, like, patch lo last long enough or whatever. I don't know. But I put the towel rack on there, and it just fell down. So I got those big um, drywall plugs, those big steel ones, and I put those in there to make sure that it was anchored well. But when I did that, it made a really big hole again, so I took the towel rack down, and I... Dry, I, I patched it again, and I painted the wall. 
and then I repeated the process till I picked the towel rack up and I threw it into the wall, making a big hole in the wall, getting so frustrated, and then uh, we called somebody to come over and fix the wall, which now had a hole about this big in it, and, and they had to come patch that, put, put a drywall plug in there, and then I had to paint the wall and do it again, and I hate that stupid towel rack. I was so angry. I am not a tool guy, and back in 1994, I'm looking for a job, and the only job, this guy from our church comes up to me and says, Pastor, I'm looking for a framer to help me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not your guy. He goes, you know what? I'll teach you. Don't worry about it. I'll teach you. And I'm like, man, if you want to, but I'm not gifted in that way. So the very first time he comes, he goes, okay, what I'm going to get you to do now is there was some, there was the, the foundation there, and I don't know what was on it, but he asked me to sweep off the foundation before we started building on it. So I climb out on the foundation. I'm like, man, there's a big hole in the ground, and if I fall, I'm going to go to my wedding in a body cast. So I sat in between the, the drywall and I, on, in between the uh, cement, and I cleaned it like this, and he's like, Oh, Lord, <laughs> what did I hire? And then once the floor got on there, you know, building walls and stuff, I did all right with that, you know, taking the, the staple gun. I, I only did one mistake where I, I think I hit a knot and the, the, the nail gun hit and then turned around and went through my hand. But, but it wasn't too bad, you know, just a little bit of blood in a hole. Um, but as I, was, as I was doing that, the, the bottom floor comes up and do you know what framers have to walk across those two-by-fours to put the next, the next level up? So it's like, come on up here with me. And I'm like, didn't you see I had problems on the ground floor? And you want me, I'm not going up there. He's like, you have to come up here. I'm like, I'm not doing it. He's like, you have to come up. And I'm like, okay. So I'm just around there, and I'm, oh, it was awful. It just was so bad. I'm like, you know what? You can fire me if you want. I know we go to the same church, but I deserve to be fired. Fire me. He's like, no, you're doing great. After that house, we did one house, and after that house, he, he went out of business. <laughs> and I felt so, I knew it was my fault. It, it had to be my fault, and, and, it, and it just didn't work out. But I felt insignificant. And I love telling that story for our people, because if ever there's something that needs to be done around your house, you know not to call me. <laughs> and when we feel insignificant, when we feel like we just, we just don't measure up. You take a look at, at Matt this morning, and you know, public speaking is often on people's top 10 fear lists to speak in front of people. And I know that that was so uncomfortable for him. And I really do honor you, Matt, to, to allow yourself to be stretched. And you did so well. Because it's easy for us to say no when we feel insignificant. It's easy for us just to say, you know what, that's not my thing. But when we say yes, we open up the door for Holy Spirit to do great things through our weaknesses. I'm sure we've all felt like that at one time or another. You don't dress the part. You don't live in the right area code. 
you have a hard time fitting in. Your friends say, why don't you get out of Cold Lake? Seriously. God wants you to know that he's got plans for you and he has a destiny, not just for you, but for future generations. God is a generational thinking God. You know what? God wants to bless your kids and your kids' kids, and he's going to do that through small things in your life. But all we need to do is say, God, use me, Lord. Lord, help me not to be, no, I'm not going to do that. No, no, forget it. No, no, no. But we open ourselves up to Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I'm a yes guy. And whatever you want to accomplish, Lord, let me, let me surrender my will to yours. I'm going to show you a quick little story here this morning of, of Ruth and Boaz and show how this insignificant lady became part of the recipe for the Messiah. See, there was a girl named Ruth, and she was a Moabite woman, and a Moabite woman were enemies of the Lord. And she married Naomi's son. And Naomi's sons and Naomi's husband died, and now they were both widows, and Naomi had two daughter-in-laws, and she said to them, look, I'm old. I'm not going to have any more children, so go back to your lands do your own thing, find a husband, get remarried, enjoy your life because I'm a loser. And you guys hanging out with me is just, we're going to be widows and we're poor and it's just not going to work out. And one daughter-in-law took her up on it. She went back to her land, but not Ruth. Ruth actually clung to her and says, you know what, I want to be with you so bad, please don't send me away. My God will become your God. I will do everything that you say, please let me be with you. So they, they were poor, and the Bible says that they would, would cleave wheat from the corners of the field, because back then uh, it was law to leave the corners for the poor, and that the owners could, could harvest everything else, and they would cleave from there, and then they would also follow the workers, and whatever was left on the ground, they would pick up to be able to make their own bread. And as that happened, the landowner's name was Boaz. And Boaz sees Ruth out in the field, and he thinks, nice. She's a hottie. And I want to know her a little bit better. And Ruth says, you know what? I like him too. And she goes back to Naomi. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, gives her lessons, teaches her how to win over a man. That's pretty awesome. Mother-in-laws, Effie teaches me so much. It's great. And, and as that happens, it works. And the two of them get married. And now they're not wanting anymore because they're, she's married a wealthy man who has land. And they have a baby, and the baby's name is Obed. Now let's pick it up from there. Not only was Ruth finally blessed with a son, but also Naomi was blessed with a grandson that she longed to hold. He represented the ongoing of her family name and the lineage. Redemption at last, what joy filled her heart. And you can read about that in Ruth chapter 4. Ruth became King David's great-grandmother, which made Naomi his great-great-grandmother. And through the ages, the little town of Bethlehem also became known as the city of David. 
See, a village woman said to Naomi, may the Lord be praised because he's left you without a guardian today. May he become famous in Israel. He will encourage you and provide for you when you are old, for your daughter-in-law who loves you has given him birth. She is better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the child and placed him on her lap. She became his caregiver. The neighbor woman named him, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, who became the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And David, as you go down the the line, becomes part of the lineage of the Messiah. God takes small things, and all of a sudden, births a Messiah brings forth a redeemer. And God can do the exact same thing in our families and in our lives. David's father was situated at the location of the birth of Jesus centuries later to shepherds watching their flocks out in the fields at night. Luke 2.11 says, Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. In Matthew 1, 5 to 6, just before the birth of Jesus is told in Matthew's gospel, the writer thought it appropriate to remember the lineage of the Savior of the Messiah of Christ, who came to rescue and redeem the world. It's only fitting that the two of his ancestors who met during the barley harvest would be part of an ongoing gift, during that, uh, giving that would lead to the birth of Jesus, who would later refer himself to, in John six thirty five, the bread of life. Isn't that awesome? We have a gift in Jesus. The smallest things can change the world. One man giving lunch leftovers to a girl who was poor began a marriage that would lead to King David, to Joseph, and to Jesus. One small baby in a basket discovered by Pharaoh's daughter would lead to the rescue of God's children. Sometimes small things, perhaps even insignificant things that you do will not only affect your life personally, but affect generations of people. Grandkids, your great-grandkids, who knows what God can do with one small step of faith? I'm going to ask Ray Cowell to come and share a story this morning. Thank you, Pastor Lance. I love sharing stories. Um, I love testimony because they're ours. They belong to us and God, our testimony with him. People can challenge God's word, they can challenge those things, but they can never challenge the walk that you have with God. And that's what I want to share with you today was uh, a testimony about something really small that ended up becoming so great and large. Um, You see, I grew up in Winnipeg to a single mom, and uh, my dad never knew me. He was never there when I was born. He was never around. And my mom, if uh, some of you here have met her, she was here for a uh, last week for a Christmas party I had. She's a very tough woman. She's an independent mom, and uh, she's a chain smoker. I always know that she's been smoking, and she calls me Raymond. Everybody here calls me Ray, unless I'm in trouble, but of course my mom calls me Raymond. And my mom was very protective growing up. I wasn't allowed to throw snowballs. I wasn't allowed to climb trees, um, and I had this fear because I never had a male role model in my life. I had this fear that I wouldn't be able to become the man that I thought I should be. And so I started having nightmares. I had this nightmare uh, that at my grade 12 graduation, I wouldn't know how to tie a tie, so of course I wouldn't look great, and I wouldn't know how to shave, so I looked like a werewolf. And I kept having this dream, and I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta learn to shave, I gotta learn to tie ties, I need to do this, but I had no one. And my mom dated a lot, and she had a lot of uh, 
uh, boyfriends, right? But none of them were, were role model material. And so finally, on my 14th birthday, my mom smoked a cigarette. She goes, what do you want for, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I'm sick of this. I can't throw snowballs. I said, I can't climb trees. I'm, I'm going to look like a werewolf in my grade 12 graduation. She looked at me, what? And I said, listen, I need a dad. I need a dad in my life. And what's important, at this stage of my life, I was in a household where we, we believed in Jesus. But we didn't care about him. And so I have a question for you quickly. It says, is it more important to believe in something or to care about it? You see... It's possible to believe in something and never care about it, but it's impossible to care about something you don't believe in. And especially this time of the season, we talk to people that say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. But as disciples of Jesus is way different. It means that you care who Jesus was and what he did. And we care as disciples in Christ what he's called us to do. And so at the stage of my life, I went to church on Christmas with my grandmother and I lived in a household that never prayed, but believed in Jesus. But our eternal father that we share knew that it was important for me to have a relationship with him that I cared about. And so what the Lord started to do, very, very small, was pursue me in a way where I could go from a believing Christian to a caring Christian. And so 20 years ago this week, my mom answered what I wanted for Christmas when I said I want a father, she said, why don't you phone him? And I don't know if it was Christmas Eve or it was the eve of Christmas Eve, I don't know, it was this week, and I picked up the phone and I dialed the number. And it's so insignificant at the time, that phone call, not knowing where it was going to go, where it would lead, but he answered. And I said, hi, is, is Ray Scaife there? And he said, this is he who's speaking. And it was quiet. And I said, this is your son. And it was so quiet for so long. And I was 14, and I said, you want to go for a cup of coffee? I didn't even drink coffee. And he went, yeah. And we went to a, a Robin's Donuts, so good. And we had coffee. And during my 14-year absence in my biological father's life, he'd become a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And we started to hang out. Now, my dad worked out of his van, okay? Now, this is, like, he wasn't like the Lincoln lawyer or anything, but he was a distributor. But it was cool, and I used to, I used to go hang out with him. And for a year, we talked about Jesus. And it told me, you know, I said, you know what, Dad, I'm sure it's a good book, you know, it's a good model for our lives. But I don't really, really believe in it. But as the Holy Spirit poured into my father and poured into me, I started to research and read books and pray. And what our eternal father did, our heavenly father, is through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gave me the courage to make that phone call. And he gave my father the courage to build on a relationship and to move past his absence in my life. And he also empowered my mom the ability to share her most valued treasure, me, with a person that had hurt her so very much. And that insignificant phone call turned into this very significant thing where our Heavenly Father took my biological father and allowed him to pour into me to bring me back to a true and real and caring relationship 
with him again. You know, whether you're at Sobeys, whether, wherever you are, wherever the Lord has placed you, there's tons of opportunities like that where you never know where they're going to go because the same Holy Spirit that pursued me at 14 years of age and that used my father, I'm pouring into my kids and even pouring into you here today. It's so amazing. And the Bible is full, not of characters, I hate saying that, the character of David, but full of people, real people that were seemingly insignificant, whose actions were seemingly insignificant, but had eternal significance in God's tapestry for his creation. And he's continuing to use myself and my kids and my beautiful wife and everyone here. And I think it's so fantastic. If you, one last thing, if you have any unforgiveness in your heart for people that have hurt you in the past, like my father did me, I encourage you to give that to the Lord, especially during this season. Because you'll never know how far it may go. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. Think about something in your life that seemed like nothing at the time, but has made a huge difference in your own personal life. We all love chocolate chip cookies, but it's that half teaspoon of baking soda that can make or break us. Ask yourselves, what moments are you creating? Perhaps this Christmas we could be a people who can give faithfully the little gifts of love and appreciation and allow the bigness of our God to complete his perfect timing to produce more than we've ever dreamed of. He does indeed have ways of making things work out together for the good of those who love him and all who are called according to his purpose, in the end, these little gifts oftentimes can become the greatest of joy. Perhaps you're here and your heart grieves because you have children or you have um, uh, grandchildren, and as your children are, are, are raising the grandchildren, they decided to raise the kids in a God-free home. And you're like, you know what? That's not how we raised you. What is going on? Never, ever stop thinking that there's power in the importance of the little things. The power of prayer to say, God, I give you my family. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Don't allow despair to take over, but seek the Lord for hope and seek the Lord for life because what the enemy is meant for evil, God is gonna use for good. We serve an almighty God. We serve an omnipotent Father. And we just bring those, we, like it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, we cast our cares, our anxieties upon him for he cares for us. And we say, God, you need to take this. Because at this Christmas season, Lord, help me to see that the small things can be absolutely mighty. You are a good God, and we worship you. Never underestimate the power of a praying grandma. You have influence and in those little things can add up to something absolutely spectacular. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Just want to open up the altars as, as Ernie starts to, to lead us into the place of worship. And as Ernie starts to lead, maybe you're here and, and you do have bitterness in your heart. 
And it's like, man, you know what? This, is, this has bothered me for years. And Holy Spirit is hovering over this place right now, just saying, would you give that to me? Because I want to make you a better person. I want to bring life to your heart. And I need you to say, Dad, will you take this? Maybe you're here and Christmas is difficult because you know what? You are in that place where it just seems like you're being bombarded. You have situations that just seem like they can't change. Never underestimate the power of prayer. And we keep knocking and knocking and knocking. For our God is a good God. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.